0: So, sounds like you're happy to be here today. Yes, sir. All right, I'm preaching about money today. You're still happy to be here today. <laughs> All right, we're going to talk today about a godly mindset of, about money. Uh, sometimes people get nervous when we talk about money in church. We really don't do it that often uh, here at True Life. Uh, we don't try to coerce giving. I think it's a matter of the heart. And we're talking about more than giving today. So let me say up front, if you're a guest, if you're not a Christian, you're not a part of True Life, we don't want you to give. So just go ahead and relax. We're glad uh, that you're here and uh, just hope that you'll let uh, God speak to you in this time. Uh, You know, if if you're not a Christian, God is interested in your heart. He's not interested in your money at this point. Although I do want us to see today, that if we're followers of Jesus Christ, that every part of our lives, including, under, including our finances, falls under His Lordship. Uh, let me tell you a story to, to illustrate that. So, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my wife Robin and I um, are, were originally from here and moved away and moved back to, to Plant True Life in 2002. And uh, from 1996 to 2002, we lived in Frederick, Maryland. And I pastored a church there. And when I went to that church, we didn't start it, but it was young. It was like three years old. It was small. And we met in rented facilities. So that means when uh, someone uh, was getting baptized that, um, you know, we didn't have a place to do it. Because we met in a school and then another place. And, you know, didn't have a place like this, which we didn't at the beginning of True Life either. So, you know, I baptized some people in some you know, crazy, strange places around here, and especially in Honduras, you know, in rivers. Uh, one time in a swimming pool full of green water uh, and got sick the next day. But uh, uh, so, you know, we had to go to different places to baptize people. And a lot of times we used a, a church nearby, South End Baptist Church, and... Um, we, uh, I was friends with the pastor. His name's Ken Stahls, good guy. He, he told me this story, I guess, one time when we were talking about baptism. But if you don't know this, weird things happen sometimes when people get baptized. If I ever wrote a book about being a pastor, the most entertaining chapter would be stories about strange things that have happened at baptisms. And uh, I, I could tell you some good stories, probably don't have time uh, right now. I have one particular favorite one, don't I, Preston? But uh, we, we'll refrain from that. But, um, so he told me this story about uh, baptizing a guy one time, baptizing a group of people. And one of the things that you do if you're doing baptisms, is you kind of have this discussion before it's time for people to start going into the water. It's like, take off your glasses, empty your pockets, take off your shoes, that kind of thing, because I guess people are nervous, and sometimes they start to walk into the water with things on their person that you would think that they wouldn't be walking into the water with, right? I mean, we normally don't wear shoes in the water, uh, we, we normally don't, you know, wear glasses in the water, don't take our wallet. You know, when I got my wallet ruined in one time with stuff that was in it on a water ride at Six Flags, which was not the most brilliant thing I've ever done. But anyway, he's telling us about this particular time, baptizing a few people, having this conversation and he says, you know, you got anything in your pockets? And one of the guys says, yeah, I got my, I got my wallet in my pocket. He's like, well, you know, take it out and lay it over here. It'll be fine. He's like, no, I, I don't want to take it out of my pocket. He's like, well, you don't want to get your wallet. Well, yeah, I do. I want to get my wallet baptized. <laughs> what the guy said to him. And he's like, what are you talking about? And, and this guy was a brand new Christian, and he said that one of his biggest struggles before he became a Christian was that he had a gambling addiction and that his finances were a wreck. And he said, I want to get my wallet baptized too as a symbol that I'm committing this part of my life, my finances, I'm giving my gambling addiction uh, to Jesus, I, I'm giving all of this to him. And, and I think that's a, it's a beautiful picture of the fact that every part of our life, if we're, if we're really a follower of Christ, is under the lordship of Christ including our finances, our wallets, our purses. Sometimes it may not seem like every part of our life is under His Lordship. We don't always live like it. Kind of what Mandy was saying when she was talking about I surrender all. You know, We can talk about surrender. We're not all the time all the way fully surrendered. But the issue of of being under the Lordship of Christ is not ultimately our surrender. It's the fact that He's Lord. And if we're a Christian, He's not just our Savior. He is our Lord. So if, if every part of our lives as, as followers of Jesus are under his lordship, including our finances, what does that mean? What, what, what does that look like? And like I said, if you're not a Christian, we don't expect you to live like a Christian If you're not a Christian yet, we want you to be able to hear the gospel and consider it. But we want you to see, we want to give you the whole story. Because sometimes I think what happens, and I've been guilty of this, is like we tell people, you know, Jesus, he loves you, he'll forgive you. Oh, just give your life to Jesus. And then afterwards it's like, oh, but yeah, you need to do this, this, and this as part of following him to obey him. And Jesus said up front, count the cost. And counting the cost is realizing that Jesus is Lord. And so we're doing this series called This Is Us and uh, we've been talking about uh, you know vision or mission or core values, that kind of thing over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Preston, one of our elders, great preacher, going to preach next week about uh, the core value of that we need each other. And then Ray Chun is, is going to talk about service and ministry, that core value. But today, this doesn't connect with a specific core value. It's just when we're working on the series, our elders, our staff thought, hadn't preached about this in a really long time, kind of needed to address it. And But it flows out of what we talked about. Last week, when we talked about worship, part of our worship is giving. It's it's being generous, it's giving God our first and and our best. And, And just so, once again, hopefully, you'll relax and just hear the word of God. I'm not preaching this because we have, you know, some kind of financial crisis, some kind of financial crunch. You know, we have needs. It takes money to do ministry. You know, we want to build in the future, pay off our debt, those kind of things. That's always out there. We have this huge ministry in Honduras. There's always needs there. But honestly, we're having a tremendous year financially. Uh, We're running well ahead of budget. So thank you for your generosity. So we'll just say that up front, and now with that said, let's look at what God's Word says, and, 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 and we're going to just kind of frame this about a mindset. This series is about conviction. It's about attitudes, beliefs, convictions that then inform and guide and direct and produce Our behavior. So how should we look at money biblically? That's what we're going to think about. I want to give you five principles today. Here's the first one. We are to avoid false teachers who teach that godliness is a means of material gain. Apparently, this was an issue in the first century as Paul writes this to Timothy, a young pastor, and specifically telling him how pastors should relate to money, but it applies to to every Christian. Apparently, this was an issue in the first century, and it's definitely an issue in the 21st century. So, we're to avoid false teachers who teach that godliness is a means material gain. Look at what he says here in verses 3 through 5. It's a warning against false teaching, specifically uh, talking about financial gain. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise, and, and otherwise here is the Greek word heteros, and it means another of a completely different kind. And in this context, what he's saying is he's, talk, he's talking about people who, who teach opposite to sound doctrine, to true biblical Christian doctrine, to the, to the truth of Jesus Christ. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, which means healthy words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed. And the word obsessed in the Greek literally means sick. Uh, it's, it's a form of a word that we get our word hygiene from, but it's kind of an opposite. So, so he's saying, if someone doesn't actually teach according to Scripture, this leads to spiritual sickness instead of spiritual health. Does that make sense? Right? The truth sets us free. Lies bring us in, in, into bondage. The only way to know God is to know him in truth. The only way to know how to live is to live in truth. So uh, he says you're going to have spiritual health, spiritual sickness, and based on whether or not doctrine is true or not. Um, he says is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words which, uh, from which come envy, strife, reviling evil suspicions this is the fruit but then particularly notice verse 5 in the context of what we're talking about today because i think this sets up then the rest of the chapter he says useless wranglings of men of corrupt mind corrupt minds who are destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain and then he says from such withdraw yourself now what does that look like well let us show you
1: I've owned three different jets in my life, and I and used them and just burning them up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Televangelist Jesse Duplantis says God himself told him it's time for an upgrade. He said, I want you to believe me for a Falcon 7X. So I said, OK. A Falcon 7 jet like this one to preach to more people around the world. And he's asking his followers for the $54 million. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. From... Televangelist Kenneth Copeland recently bought a $36 million Gulfstream 5 jet. Praise God. Isn't that good? The two have commiserated about how they can't fly or pray with commercial airline passengers. This dope-filled world, right? Get in, an air, get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. That's exactly the And point. It's, it's deadly.
0: Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself.
1: You want the blessings of God? Christian, they're not yours because of the work of Jesus. No. Tithe! Give money and you'll get the blessing. If you don't, nothing for you. What has happened to the gospel of grace? These charlatans have turned it into a gospel of works. And they have put people, wow, have they put people under bondage. This is one of the most disturbing things you might ever see. I'll be out walk on this money. Woo, woo, woo. Here, woo, get some anointing! You put something up here! Woo, man. Woo, put some money! Put some anointing on this money! You put something up here! You put you, you. Woo, prosper. prosper, I said!
0: wranglings of men of corrupt minds destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such
1: withdraw yourself bless this seed that god will multiply it so stretch your hands father bless you pray in the holy ghost come on in jesus name i release the anointing lord right now for multiplication I release the anointing. Pray pray out loud. I want to hear you. Lord, multiplication. The seed they sowed, they're going to be blessed beyond measure. In Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said. Put it on the platform, please. Now, uh, give me the, the empty envelopes. All the empty envelopes. Timothy, hold those envelopes. all right now stretch your hands and pray come on out loud Lord I declare property Lord I declare property Lord I declare property I declare debt-free homes in the name of Jesus debt-free condos debt-free apartments someone will walk up to these people and give them a a check they're gonna get something back from the government some miracle will happen with a business They'll get the money to pay off their house, pay off their condo, their apartment, and even get a new one. In Jesus' name, properties will come their way in your holy name. And God's people said, Useless wranglings of men
0: of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself.
1: As we receive today's offer, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decrease, blessing, and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ.
0: Hallelujah. Useless Wranglings. Of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdrawal. Listen, if you're a Christian, you say, man, I can't be a Christian because all these people, you know, they're just, it's just, hucksters. It's all about my, listen, we think the same thing. God thinks the same thing. This isn't Christianity. So if you're going to reject Christianity, reject the real thing, not this fake version of it. Listen, God has blessed us amazingly financially. He's been so good to us. But it has nothing to do with my godliness. and has everything to do with Jesus' grace. And it's not like guaranteed. It's not like, you know, the, the prosperity gospel, the problem with it is, is it confuses heaven and earth. It confuses sanctification and glorification. God promises to reward us in eternity. There's no guarantee now. Listen, you may follow Jesus and you may be, it may be great for you. You may follow Jesus and it may go real bad. That's not the issue. The issue is Jesus is enough. I mean, think about it. I mean, there's there's Christians all over the world being persecuted right now. And, you know, they're not experiencing what these guys are talking about. But if you go by them, uh, you know, these bunch of clowns saying stuff like this. I mean, persecuted Christians, people that are dying for their faith. They're missing the whole thing. And I think something's really backwards about that. I mean, think about it. In Matthew chapter 19, there's a, a man who's called a rich young ruler who came and approached Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this. Money is morally neutral. This message has nothing to do with if your bank account has $3 or $3 million in it. Okay, There's nothing wrong with being rich. We're rich compared to the majority of the people in the world. But I mean, like, if you're really rich... That's great. God blessed you. I mean, there's there's a man in the Bible, Joseph of Arimathea, you know, the man who provided the tomb that Jesus is buried in. He's called rich and a disciple of Jesus. That's not the issue. But the issue is when our riches. Have a hold of us because this young ruler who came to Jesus, you know, he said he kept all of his commandments and all these kind of things. Jesus said, "Well, if you want to be perfect, you really, if you really want to be perfect, what you need to do is you need to go and sell what you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me." Now, nobody else in the pages of the New Testament did Jesus say that exact thing to the thing to. Why did he say it? Because. If we're going to follow Jesus, he has to be our Lord. And the money was this man's God. And he had to lay it down to really be able to follow Jesus. Because you, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money at the same time. And in Matthew 19, uh, it says that this man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, then, it, then Jesus said to his disciples, I, Surely I say to you that it's hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then his disciples were really confused because like so many people today, they equated riches with the blessing of God. And so they asked this question. They said, Who then can be saved? I mean, if a rich person can't, how could a poor person ever manage to get saved? And look at what Jesus said. He says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. What's he saying? He's saying salvation is the supernatural, regenerating, miraculous, Holy Spirit-powered work of God. It's internal. It's not based on external kind of things. And so you can't buy your way into heaven. God doesn't love you anymore no matter what you have. He doesn't love you less based on what you don't have. I mean, a lot of people over time have been like, you know, discriminated against poor people. If you read scripture, God has a special place in his heart for poor people because everyone's made in the image of God. God's no respecter of persons. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the heart. He cares for all people. And he wants us uh, to be advocates for mercy and justice for the poor and the downtrodden uh, you know those who can't stand up for themselves scripture tells us to stand up for them so but Peter answered a question he said, he said we've left all and followed you therefore what shall we have and if you listen to those guys what would they say They say, man, you gave it to Jesus, he's going to multiply it back a hundredfold, right? He's going to give you houses and cars and debt-free life and and everything uh, that you can ever experience. Now, I don't even believe they really believe that. I had a friend in seminary one time that called one of these ministries that teach these kind of things. And he said, I tell you what, if you believe if I give you $100, then I'm going to get a hundredfold return on it. How about this? How about you give me $100 and then you'll get the hundredfold return on it? And they hung up on him. You might not think about that. But anyway, here's what Jesus said. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, what's the regeneration? When Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom on the earth, restores everything to the original paradise that God created to be. In eternity, basically. When the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is specifically for the disciples. Everyone who left the, has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. What, how did Jesus answer Peter? How are we going to be rewarded for what we've left behind, for what we've laid down to follow you? Jesus said you're going to get rewarded in eternity. They didn't get it on the earth. What they get on the earth? They got persecution and martyrdom. But they got Jesus. Now, like I said, Jesus may bless you. He may make you rich. He may prosper you. Your life may go awesome, but it may go badly too. But the issue is Jesus is enough, and when he promises to reward us is in eternity. And so where this really becomes an issue is, is why are we following Jesus? Are we following Jesus because of Jesus or because of what we can get for Jesus? And here's where it also becomes an issue. I've met so many people who have become disillusioned about God because they believe this stuff, that if you follow Jesus, you're promised health and prosperity and an easy life and a good life and all these kind of things. And then what happens? Life doesn't go like that. they are like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with God? And they, their faith falters and they fall away. Why? Because their faith is in a lie and not in the promises of God. Jesus promised us reward in eternity, not now. So what he says to us very clearly, church, is don't listen to these kind of teachers. Don't believe this kind of teaching. Withdraw from them. So if you have these kind of influences in your life, in your spiritual life, if you're reading, listening, watching these kind of people, and it doesn't even have to be some of these extreme examples that that we looked at here. It could be more subtle, just man-centered, preaching your best life now, those kind of things. He says withdraw because it's spiritual poison. The prosperity gospel is a fake gospel. The real gospel is, is that we have sinned against a holy God, that that sin has separated us from him, but that he loves us so much and he's so full of grace and mercy that Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, that we might become rich in him, not physically, but spiritually. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside his possessions. He became poor for us. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. He got crucified naked. If the prosperity gospel doesn't fit Jesus, it's probably not a gospel. He gave himself for us. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. Where if we repent and trust him, he'll forgive us of our sins, give us a relationship with him, make us new, give us eternal life, and he will be enough in our lives no matter what happens externally. That's the gospel. But, but then look at verse 6 here because It's a contrast that flows out of what we just talked about. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. These false teachers have been saying, if you're godly, you're going to get physical, material, financial gain. The Holy Spirit is saying through Paul that if you're godly and content, there's going to be great spiritual gain. And then he gives an example. He says, for we brought nothing into the world... And it is certain that we can carry nothing out. In other words, what he's saying is, you came in this world naked without a thing, And the only reason you're leaving not naked is because somebody else putting clothes on you. you're not taking it with you. Nothing belongs to you when it's all said and done. Listen, you know, the Bible talks about, I mean, there's a lot of practical financial wisdom in the Bible. It talks about storing up an inheritance for our kids and and our grandchildren, those kind of things. But ultimately, the only things that are going to last are the deposits we make in people and the deposits we make in eternity because we are going to die and we can't take it with us. So he says in, in verse 18, having food and clothing, with these we shall be content." In other words, what he's saying is, if God takes care of us, and he he does, he provides the needs of his children, read Matthew 6, why kill ourselves to have so much stuff that's not even going to last? Let's talk about contentment for a minute. And... You know, we're talking about financial contentment here, but, but it applies in a lot of ways. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty content financially. Maybe there's some other ways. Not so much. But we need to understand what contentment is. Contentment is, basically means to be um, okay on the inside. It, it means to accept our circumstances and not be controlled by what's going on outwardly. Okay? Um, contentment... Um, It's not just like resignation to our circumstances. It's not fatalism. It doesn't preclude godly ambition. It's more about the state of our hearts. In other words, what I'm saying is this, there's nothing wrong with you working hard to try to make a better life for your family. Nothing wrong with you trying to get a better job. Uh, There's nothing wrong with, say, going back to school so you get a different career and and, and do better financially, those kind of things. I mean, the Bible's very practical. It says if a man won't work, let him not eat. I mean, men, we're designed, created, called by God to work, provide for our families, and we're not talking about those external kind of things. We're talking about internal we're talking about our heart we're we're, we're talking about that having peace and joy whatever our circumstances are we're talking about being thankful we're we're talking about if we don't have everything we want that we're okay with that that we're not bitter and mad at god and mad at the world or we're also talking about if we got a lot Wanting what we have and and being thankful for it and not all the time thinking, well, I need more and I need something else. And if I get this, then I'll be happy. You see, you can be poor and content or discontent. And you can be rich and content or discontent. Because contentment is the opposite of external circumstances. And it is about what's going on in our hearts. So are we thankful? Are, Are we Happy with what we have. And, you know, one of the, the, the lies is that more is what's going to make us happy. That's a lie from the devil. That's the exact opposite of what Scripture is teaching here uh, about contentment. You know, Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content, to, to abound or to be abased. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we take that out of context a lot. But in this context, what he's saying is... I can be content whether things are good or things are bad through Jesus Christ who's in me. But there's a lady by the name of Katie Hill who wrote an article about this. Read you just a little bit of it. She starts by saying, mo' money, more problems. New research shows the richer we get. Some of you would like to test the premise of this, I know. uh, But she says new research shows the richer we get, the less happy we become. A study published this month in the journal Nature of Human Behavior found that once we reach a certain household income, 105,000 in the United States, 95,000 globally, more income, quote, tended to be associated with reduced life satisfaction and a lower level of well-being. And it's not just adults who are impacted by this phenomenon. Children who come from affluent families are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and substance abuse than those who come from less affluent families, research shows. So what exactly is eating at the rich? A lot, she says. More money, more wants. It may be that once you have enough money to meet basic needs and to be able to purchase small conveniences or repay debt, Extra money may simply fuel, quote, desires such as pursuing more material gains and social comparisons, which could ironically lower. Uh, well-being, according to researchers from Purdue University. Psychologist Elizabeth Lombardo, who studied high net worth families for for her new book, From Entitlement to Intention, Raising Purpose-Driven Children, calls this quest for more and more the treadmill effect. She says, we think external things we buy will bring us happiness, but then we get them and wonder what's next. The next thing has to be bigger and better than we had before and than what other people around us have, she adds. The problem with this, of course, is that plenty of research shows that most material possessions don't make us happier. Instead, it's things like experiences and having more time to do the things we love and spend time with the people we love that drive happiness. The deepest pleasures are derived from interpersonal love, warm relationships, giving, appreciation, and gratitude and isn't it always interesting when social science and research catches up with the Bible? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Are we pursuing contentment? And remember, it's a hard issue, it's the opposite of what our external circumstances are. Number three. We see here in the scripture, we, we, there's a strong warning here that we're to flee from the temptation to love money and passionately pursue Jesus instead. Look at what he says in verses 9 and 10. He, he used some very strong wording here. He says, those who desire to be rich. And I, I just wonder if we did a survey and got everybody to be honest in church, which would be a minor miracle, but if, if, we, if we could pull that off, how many of us would say, yeah, I want to be rich? Don't raise your hand. But, I mean, we really want to be rich. So if you desire to be rich, here's what he says. Remember, it's not about being rich or it's not about being poor. It's about the state of our heart. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And the word snare means trap. It's, it's a word that describes a hunter setting a trap uh, to catch its prey. It's a temptation and a snare. It's a trap. into many foolish and harmful lusts. Greed, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And, and destruction means physical death. Perdition means spiritual death. It'd be like Judas, who was greedy, ended up hanging himself, and he went to hell. He experienced destruction and perdition because of his love of money. Verse 10. He said, And this verse gets misquoted a lot, right? It doesn't say for money. It says what? For the love of money. It's about our heart. We're talking about a mindset. We're not talking about our bottom line. We're not talking about external circumstances. are talking about our mindset. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil. For which some astray from the faith and their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. If money becomes our God and it can be an idol, it's going to end up bringing destruction in our lives. That's what he's saying. What do we love? What's our affections? Are our affections most for Jesus or are they most for money? Are we greedy? Are we obsessed with having more? And, and, and listen, once again, you could be rich and be completely content or you could be poor and verses 9 and 10 right now are eating your lunch because it's about the heart and not about the external circumstances. You could be all the time coveting and jealous of people have more than you and it's ruining your- You have no peace in your heart because this is the state of your heart. It's about our affections. But what he's saying is this love of money is destructive. On Saturday, Apple sends out an email that has like five news articles from the week. And I saw this yesterday in the headline of one of them with me preaching on this today. Just completely caught my attention. The title is From Lottery Winner to Bank Robber. And it's the story of a man by the name of, of Jim Hayes who won 19 million in the lottery in California and ended up in prison for 10 bank robberies, totaling about 40,000 dollars. And when he committed these robberies, he was a homeless drug addict. He had blown through, I think it it said like 13 point some million dollars after taxes. He had blown through that on a divorce settlement, buying all these high-end cars, you know, just dumb, stupid, financial, one decision after the other. And he said, having money enabled me to live my wildest dreams, but there's a flip side, it's the lottery curse. What's the lottery curse? That the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil from which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But then notice the flip side in verse 11. Notice what he says. He, he says, but you, O man of God. He says, flee from these things. Listen, these are idols that can just naturally to be, be in our hearts. So he says, you've got to run from this. And when we run from sin, we've always got to run to Jesus because we don't live in a vacuum. It's not just a matter of saying, I'm not here just saying, you know, like, don't be greedy. Don't love money. I'm saying let Jesus change your heart because it's about our affections. He says, You, O oh man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness fight the good fight of faith lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses i urge you in the sight of god who gives life to all things and before christ jesus who witnessed the good confession before pontius pilate notice the emphasis on jesus here that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until our lord jesus christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time he who is the blessed and only potentate which means sovereign or ruler the king of kings the lord of Lord, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. What's the desire of our heart? Is it pursuing and knowing Jesus, becoming godly? Or is it riches? Is it things? Few minutes. You know, we can come to church sometimes and we can talk about ethereal, airy, fairy, you know, spiritual kind of stuff, and we can nod our heads say men go home and then not really have anything to do with their lives. Money doesn't work that way, does it? It's very tangible. And you know what? God designed it to be that way. In Scripture, money's a test, it's a revealer of the hearts. And you know what one of the things money does? It reveals what we're trusting. Look at what he says in, in verse 17. He says, uh, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Here, here's the fourth principle. We are to humbly trust God instead of proudly trusting money. Where's our identity? Where's our security? But notice the thing about this. Uh, Jacob, put the the verse back up there if you would. Notice the end of verse 17. I didn't read it. It says, the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. I'm not saying go sell everything you have and live in a monastery. I'm saying enjoy what God's given you, but acknowledge him as the source. Thank him for it. Be content with what he's given you. And then, you know, out of that also, we'll look at the last verse here, last couple verses, is be generous. See, here's the thing. Does everybody know what a trust fall is? Everybody, you know, you fall back, let somebody catch you, and, and it's designed to show whether or not you actually trust somebody or you just say that you trust them. You know what money is spiritually? It's a trust fall. It's a trust fall. It shows whether or not we actually trust God Or we have a dead faith without works that just talks. So what are we trusting in? Well, how do you know if you're trusting God with your money? Well, how obedient are you being to biblical principles? How much time do you spend worrying about whether or not your bills are going to be paid? How generously do you give? You answer those three questions... And that's a pretty good start to knowing whether or not you're trusting or you're just talking about it. It's very tangible. And so the last principle here, verses 18 and 19, is just simply to be generous. Look at what he writes here. "'Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come.' that they may lay hold on eternal life. Remember what he said earlier? We can't take it with us, so we better invest it in eternity if we want to hang on to it. I mean, that's the only investment that's ever ultimately going to last. We're to be generous, to do good, to be rich in good works, ready ready to share. Remember what Jesus said. I think this may be Paul's commentary on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, "Don't lay up treasures on earth, where moth and rust uh, corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupts, and where thieves don't break in and steal." And then verse twenty-one is probably the key for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Here's one of my favorite quotes. I should, well, thank you, Jacob. He added in in between service. Want to know your net worth? This is from Ed Young Jr. Simply add up everything money can't buy and death can't take away. That's what you're really worth. You ought to hang on to that. What are you really worth? It's not what your bank account says. It's everything that money can't buy and death can't take away. Levi Lusco says, we either leave our treasure or we go to our treasure. We either leave our treasure, or we go to our treasure. Uh, I, I, after a lot of you know uh, know of you know. Coach Ken Sparks, you know, legend around here, just a great man of God, absolute real deal. I went to college with his son, Chad, and I sent him that quote after Coach Sparks died and said, your dad went to his treasure. And that's what's going to happen for each and every one of us. We're either going to go to our treasure or we're going to leave our treasure. Where is, is our treasure? John D. Rockefeller said, after it's all over, the religion of man is his most important possession. Why? Because we're not going to possess anything else. Listen, if we have Jesus, we have eternal life. And so the most important decision we can ever make is to trust Christ with our lives, to bring him our sin, receive his righteousness in return, surrender our lives to him so we're ready for the final day, but then to live every day in every area of our lives, including our finances, to prepare for that day uh, to where we'll stand before Jesus and give account for our lives. And, and either as Christians, our lives will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble, or they'll stand uh, his refining fire like gold and silver and precious stones. Jesus is Lord over all. Do we live like Christians that he's Lord over our finances? Do we reject this prosperity gospel idea? Are we pursuing contentment? Are we dealing with the idol of greed in our hearts? Are we actually trusting God instead of material things? And what do our actions say? And then are we generous? If we say Jesus is Lord, that's how he's calling us to live. If you're not a Christian, you need Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to change your life. It's not about your money. But no, if you commit your life to Christ, every part of your life falls under his lordship. But you know what? Even in that, that's the grace of God. Because you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to deliver us from this myth of more. He wants to deliver us from the tyranny of, of, of the state of our hearts, of whether or not we can have peace and joy and contentment being based on external circumstances. He, he wants to deliver us from our lives being based on things that won't last. He wants to deliver us from the idol of materialism. He wants us to have a peace through trusting him, knowing he's a good, good father who loves us and who takes care of us. And that doesn't mean he's going to make us wealthy, but it means he's He's always with us, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. And he's going to meet our needs, not just externally, but internally. And we can know the joy and the happiness of being generous, knowing that God will take care of us, and knowing that we're making an investment in people's lives, and knowing that we're not wasting our lives because we know that we're making an investment in eternity that will last forever. That's what he wants to give us because he's a giving God. He's a gracious God, and everything he does is for our good. And so when we talk about obedience, it's not to earn something from God. It's so we can get ourselves lined up with God and experience what he already has for us by his grace. And see, so if we're living as Christians our lives against God's plan in any area of our lives, including our finances, what we're doing is we're fighting against the truth. And some of you right now know, if you're honest, that that's a losing battle, and your financial situation is tangible proof of it. So will you submit to the Lordship of Christ as a Christian in this area of your life? If you're not a Christian, will you consider the free gospel of Jesus Christ, not something you earn, but the forgiveness that He bought for you freely by His grace on the cross. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could. Now, I just want to ask you as we close how do you need to respond to this? Maybe some of you, you're, you're not a believer, but the Spirit of God's working in your heart right now. And you need to surrender your life to Christ, you need to call on His name. And ask for forgiveness. Ask Him to come into your life. I encourage you to do that. If you need to talk about that, I'll be at the front. would love to talk with you. Pastor Philip, be in the lobby. You can fill out your connection card. Let us know. We'd love to answer your questions. Try to help you, uh, you know, to become a follower of Jesus. Experience the grace of God. Listen, Christian. If we really believe that Jesus is alive. That he's given us eternal life. That God is a God of all grace. Why can't we believe for him to take care of us this week? And you know how we show whether or not we have faith? It's by our obedience. Let's trust him with our finances. How do we trust him? We do what his word says. We ask God And I encourage you to do this right now, just to to ask God through his spirit to to minister to you, to convict you, to shape you, to change you, to to change your thinking by, by the word that we've read today. Maybe there's something you need to ask God to forgive you for, to repent of. Maybe it's not being content. Maybe it's being a workaholic. Maybe it's finding your security and money. Maybe it's not giving. Maybe you're not really trusting the Lord, whatever it is. Let's talk to the Lord about that right now. Let Him minister to you. There's, there's abundant grace to change you from the inside out. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're interested and involved in every part of our lives. We thank you that you're a good God, that you're a God of all truth, that your ways are right and that they always work. Lord, help us to walk and surrender to Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in your ways. Lord, forgive us when we don't. God, give us the grace to obey. Fill us and empower us with your spirit. God, Just renew our minds by your truth. Help us to take every wrong thought captive uh, in obedience to Jesus Christ. Lord, draw people to yourself who don't know you today. And just help us to be able to live this out. In Jesus' name I pray.